Morning, Rock Bible. Good to see you this morning. I want to invite the ushers down. We've got Bibles and outlines and pens for you to follow along in our study this morning. We're continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. We're chapter 27. We're going to finish up uh, the only piece of 27 we haven't done yet. Uh, But get the guys' attention and they can get you uh, any of those uh, program or Bible or prayer request cards. And you can put those in the offering plate at the end. This morning I'm wearing black. It's not my tribute to Johnny Cash. This morning we're going to talk about the crucifixion. How'd we get to Easter? Now, you know, for a preaching schedule, Easter comes so fast and you just can't cover everything as you get up to Easter. And so I've been looking at how do we cover the rest of Matthew and and understand uh, how did we get to Easter? And we talked about the tomb and the stone rolled away and the angel sitting on the tomb. Hey, what are you looking for? That's the good news. I want us to understand how we got to Easter. And so uh, this morning we're covering a a decent section, about 30 verses of Matthew. Uh, And and it's the crucifixion. I was at a gathering... uh, the other, well, last night, and uh, and so I, I know none of you have ever been a pastor at a gathering, for the most part, and so, uh, well, Brent, I mean, and Bryce, but the rest of you, uh, this this kind of happens, like, oh, oh, so tomorrow's church, huh? You preaching tomorrow? <laughs> it's Sunday, right? I mean, pretty much every Sunday. Oh, yeah? What are you preaching on tomorrow? Right? <laughs> and <laughs> it was a group setting, and a bunch of people, and they're all laughing at the whole thing, and I didn't know how to, to like, the death of Jesus. <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure how to just, like, lay it out there. And so I was, I was more tactful. Uh, but I was, I was thinking uh, this week, and, and I saw the black sweater, and I thought, we're going to talk about the crucifixion. I think I'm just going to wear it. going to wear it. You know, it was a dark uh, time. It was, it's a dark story. It's rough. Uh, so this is this is one of those where we, we hope the kids are off in kids ministry when we cover some of this because it's not it's not clean it's not pretty, uh, but there's some great things that come out of it not just on a big theological scale as far as our forgiveness and our sanctification and some of those kind of things, uh, but some little things like what in these thirty verses what what happens there's so many different characters and one of the things that really came out to me this week as I was looking at it is just this is sacrifice. What Jesus does on the cross, what he goes through to get to the cross before he dies, uh, he puts up with so much. Uh, I, I wouldn't put up with it. If if I was the son of man, I, it'd be over. Sorry, you guys would be out, right? I'd zap him with lightning bolts or whatever. I'm not going to put up with some of that stuff. You'll see it. I doubt you'll want to think that you'd put up with it either. Uh, but there's so much that he does in terms of sacrifice. And as we look at the passage and, and you think about it, there's actually several other characters and they're going through sacrifice as well. And what is sacrifice? Why do we do it? Is it worth it? That's what I want us to see this morning. So uh, let's pray and we'll be in Matthew chapter 27. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for what we call Good Friday. It was a dark night, and yet out of all that darkness, all the roughness, mistreatment, misunderstanding, you brought light, you brought hope, you brought salvation, you brought grace, love, forgiveness, all the things you want us to emulate. Lord, help us to see ourselves in this story this morning, in the proper way, in your way. We ask that our time would honor you. Glorify your son and edify us. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 27, <clears throat> verse 27 and following. Uh, the soldiers, they've, they have Jesus. He's gone to trial. He's gone before Pilate. Uh, last week we talked about how Pilate kind of washed his hands literally and said, I have nothing to do with his blood. It's on your hands. You do whatever you see fit. 
Uh, and so the sentence has been cast out. And so the soldiers uh, of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him. Which, by the way, if he wanted, wasn't enough. But I love that they marched the whole battalion in in front of him. Just a little idiosyncrasy that stuck out to me. It's like, oh, you need the whole battalion for this one guy, right? Who's never hurt anybody. But you're going to bring the whole battalion before him. Verse 28, they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Long before it says they mocked him, uh, weren't they mocking him in some of the things that they did? Was it a real robe? No, was it a real crown? Was it a real scepter? No, it's just a reed. Put a little plant in his hand, right? Flimsy. Not metal, not strong, not projecting the power that a true king would garner. Instead, we're going to mock him. Hail, king of the Jews. Sarcasm as it's graced on their part, and yet truth at its very core. They spit on him. Verse 30. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, we're at church and we're supposed to talk about nice things and Jesus and all this kind of stuff. Have, have, you, have you experienced like the, the harder parts of life? Like, I know we, we all experience tough, tough things. I, I want to know specifically, have you ever been spit on? Right? I, I, I would almost want to do a raise of hands, but we're not going to. Okay? I have. I've been spit on. And more than once. And it's, it, it was a really weird experience for me, not because of the spit or the person or the environment. What went on within me between here and here, my trying to cope with the idea that I just got spit on. What is that? Uh, what do I do with it? How do I respond? Now, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, I was already a Christian at the time of each of the events. And so I had, the, I had something going on here. I had something going on here. And I think there was something going on there between us coming up and down. Like, hey, buddy, you, you better watch how you're handling yourself in these next few moments, instance. Right? Just weird. And then, like, what do I do when I run into that person again? When I see that person again who spit on me. Saw one of them last night. Weird. God, I'm preaching on this. I'm going to a gathering. There was two different gatherings last night for different people, whatever. I show up, and, and there they are. Haven't seen them in years. And boom. What do you do? Well, here's Almighty, King of the Universe, at creation, going to be at the end, triumphant, King, and they're mocking him and then spitting on him. They took a reed, struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put on his, clo his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. They, uh, some people think that the, the pulling off of the robe was not just a dethroning of him, uh, a, a mocking of, well, you're not really king, and so we're taking the robe back. But if they've already whipped him and beat him, then probably the taking off of the robe is creating more pain because it's pulling it off of wounds and things. The sting of all that. And they let him away, as if that wasn't enough, they let him away to crucify him. Verse 32, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. And they compelled his, uh, this man to carry his cross. I love that word, compelled. Welcome Rock Bible Church. We're Christ-centered, biblically-based. Compelling, right? Not forcing, not making, but asking and establishing an argument that makes sense and putting people in a great position to accept truth or opportunity. That's what they do with this guy, Simon. 
And Simon said, eh, no thanks. They're going to kill this guy? You want me to be affiliated with this guy? Do you know how many people I'm going to walk by carrying this cross that think I'm carrying it because somehow I'm related to him? I heard they just spit on him. And so Simon said, eh, no thanks. Let someone else carry the cross. Is that what happened? No. No. They compelled this man to carry his cross. Verse 33. And when they came to, wait, what? That's it? That's the whole story of Simon? What's implied? If there is no more to the story, and it's just those two sentences. Hey, they found a man, Simon, Simon, by name, compelled this man to carry his cross. Verse 33, they move on to the next story. What's implied? What did he do? He sacrificed. He said, I'll do it. Carries his cross. Uh, decent distance, uh, tremendous weight. Not easy physically or socially. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. When he tasted it, he would not drink it. Why not? Some people uh, use this as an argument. Oh, see, Jesus didn't drink wine. You shouldn't drink wine. Wrong. Do we, do we get that clear? Wrong. Okay. I like some of the other arguments. It didn't taste good. <laughs> or he wasn't, in a, he wasn't hungry. You know, I kind of lost my appetite. I don't think I'll be drinking right now. I like one of the other perspectives. He wanted to be totally clear of head when he went through the sacrifice that he was going to go through. Love that too. Many different options, but uh, he didn't drink it. Verse 35, when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. They sat down and kept watch over him there. That's the story. Uh, and so Jesus has been crucified. Just It's over. Right? That's it? Wait, isn't there more? Wait, and over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. When they put that up after, after they crucified, didn't it just say? And, and when they had crucified him, uh, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. I thought they put the sign up ahead of time. Uh, folks, modern Western culture doesn't understand how to read the Bible. They read it in straight timeline. Hebrews don't write that way. Jews don't write that way. They, they write in stories. Who are they telling you about right now? Are they telling you about Jesus? Kind of. But he's a character in a story about someone else right now. They're telling you about the battalion. How they treated Jesus. What they did. They put a sign. By the way, they're so bad that they cast lots for his clothes after they killed him. But they had put a sign above his head, right? It's not in chronological order. So I need you to see that because now we're going to get into how he actually dies. Because the story is about to change into being about Jesus again. All right? put the sign over him, which read, uh, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. And we're getting stories about several different groups of people, right? All mocking. And saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Okay, one, could he do it? Yes. That's not really the question here. Uh, how arrogant of men to try and give God a command. Hey, if you really are, then do this. Well, are you giving God a conditional statement? If you, then do. Folks, I'm, I'm hoping that you figure that out. And if you haven't figured it out, I hope you're at Rock Bible Church to figure out that we, we don't dictate to God. We're not dictators. We don't make the rules. You can question the rules if you're trying to understand them. If you're questioning the rules to try and get out of them, you're asking the wrong questions. 
So we've got to be careful of the commands that we give and the questions that we ask. He says, hey, if you can get off the cross, you know, hey, come, come down off the cross. Uh, and Jesus chose not to. Sacrifice right there. So also the chief priests, the scribes, the elders mocked him, which they've been doing the whole book. He saved others. He cannot save himself. You like that statement? Careful, you know I like to pull fast ones on you, right? Take you one way and then we're another way. You love that statement. You absolutely love that statement. Because what did they admit in the first three words? <clears throat> you just admitted it. Do you realize what you just said? How could you do this to the person that you know has saved people up to this point? From death, from disease, from public humiliation, from all kinds of things. He saved others. There's a little side sermon there on you should pay attention to things that come out of your mouth because some of them are true and you don't know it and you intend them a different way. And, and if you actually listen to what you said, you could teach yourself great things. He saved others. He cannot save himself. And, and here comes one of the immortal sins, right? I mean, one of the just worst things on the planet in time. When you talk about he as God, one, capitalize the H for me, okay? Come on, right? But when you talk about he, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Godhead, however you want to phrase it, never, ever use that next word. Look, when you come to Rock Bible Church, I want to give you as many freedoms as I possibly can. You want to root for the Niners? Hey, go ahead. You want to sit in the back? That's fine. You want to sit in the front? Great. You want to volunteer? You want to be totally anonymous? Whatever it is. You want to have your opinions? Have them. Ask your questions all the time. But when you walk out of this church, I want you to be dead clear. Never, ever say that God cannot. Ever. He only can. He may choose not to. But there is no such thing with God cannot. Praise God, he did not come down off of that cross. It would have been a really rough day for those boys. Oh, you want to mock me? Let's have some fun. Creator of the universe, all power at his fingertips. You know Aladdin's coming out? I can't wait to see Will, Will Smith pull this one off. I think it's going to be great. It, it's not even a fraction of a penny compared to what Jesus could have done if he decided to come off the cross. Yeah, the amount of power, influence, destruction, or grace, blessing. Praise God that he didn't come off that cross that day for us. Because of all the implications, everything that he proved that day. Why did we get to Easter? So that we can know who God is. So that we can know what he's capable of so that we can have hope of the future because cannot does not exist. There's no such thing. In fact, it says in the scripture elsewhere, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I'm pretty sure I know about you. You grew up just like me as a human in different scenarios and you found out that impossible exists everywhere. There's all kinds of things that don't work and shouldn't work and can't work and you've been frustrated and, and I know your human experience because I lived it as well. And this is where we love that God's not human, folks. He is not bound by humanity. It is why we adhere to the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Man, Scott, that was really thick. What, what are you talking about? The doctrine of the deity of Christ? Come back in September. We're going to start a new series on doctrines, theology. It's not really a new series. We did it years ago, but we're coming back and we're going to say, hey, what are the foundational pieces that we don't argue about anymore? They're non-negotiable. When summer's over, 
have your fun in the summer because when we get it's work time, we're going to have some fun. Okay, we love the deity of Christ because of this. There's no such thing when it comes to cannot with Jesus if he is God. Can, can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's move on. Uh, he is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. What a statement. You know, if he had, they'd have made an excuse and they wouldn't have believed him. I don't buy it for a minute. Not for a minute. And here's why. Because he did come down off the cross and he went into the tomb. And three days he was raised later. He appeared to the disciples up to maybe 2,000 people. And later on, in the presence of many witnesses, ascended up into the Father engulfed by a cloud. He came down off that cross. He proved that he is the king of Israel, that he can save others, that he did save himself. And yet people do not believe him. We get to make a choice. Verse 43, he trusts in God. Another absolutely true theological statement. Let God deliver him now, which he does, if he desires him, and he does that as well. God the Father cares for the Son. For he said, I am the Son of God. Gosh, they're testifying against themselves. They've got all the information. They are proving that they knew what they needed to know to make the right decision. You're in the same boat. In fact, you know more than they knew. And the robbers who were crucified with him, verse 44, also reviled him in the same way. For a little while. We get a story from one of the other gospels that one of the, one of the robbers starts to turn. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Hence, darkness, right? I just had to do it. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what it felt like. This is where we love the humanity of Christ, the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. Human, tempted in every way and yet without sin. Real, real pain, real emotion, real feelings. Hey God, are you forsaking me? We're sticking with this plan, right? I mean, you're gonna come through with your side of the plan. Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. Right, Eli Lama, Elijah. You can see how they're not listening or they're getting like me. They're getting a little hard of hearing. Watch, speak up. Eli Lama or Elijah. Some of the bystanders thought it was Elijah. One of them at once run and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait. Let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. I mean, that would have been nice. He's got a, lo a lot more than Elijah at his fingertips. And he's greater than Elijah. They've, they've twisted who the real power is. They've got all this belief in Elijah when the reality is they should have belief in Christ. You know, for uh, Jews, they believe that Elijah is going to return again at Passover. They leave a door open. They have an extra cup sometimes for Elijah in case he shows up for Passover. Elijah's coming. They didn't understand the prophecy. The one who was coming was actually Jesus. They know the prophecy that someone's coming, but they've missed who it was. Sad and tragic. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Yielded. Why not his spirit was taken? Or he died, or he expired, or he ended. Why? Why yielded? It's one of the worst car driving concepts. I hate the yield. Why? Why do I hate the yield? Because I want to be first, right? And to yield, you got to let someone else go first. You have to sacrifice your position and give them the right away. You have to slow down, pump the brakes, 
let them have their turn, and then you're stuck behind them. Can it, I know some of you know how I feel, right? Yielded means he had a choice. Yielded, he means he let someone else be first. He gave up his spirit. It was a decision. It was sacrifice on his behalf. Verse 51, and behold, this curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This sacred place that only some people could go where the dwelling of God was supposed to be and man was outside, the barrier for that is now gone. It's out of the way. Now God and man can be together. I like to say how uh, C.S. Lewis says it, God's on the loose. Right? He's on the loose now. Torn in two, top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks were split. Tombs were also opened. This gets weird. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, which means what? They were dead, were raised. So the dead are raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. They went in. They were walking around. The walking dead is a ripoff of this passage, this idea. This already happened. Zombies, that's not new. Totally different than the way we think of them. <laughs> they got zombies walking around. When the centurion, verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they... It starts out with centurion, one guy, but it says, and those were with him. So he's got a centurion and other soldiers, maybe more centurions, they. Why so many got to guard Jesus if he's already dead? They're afraid of what's going to happen. We're going to get into that uh, later, next week. The rumors and the stuff, the control, they, this, the selling they were going to try to do on creating a narrative of what did or didn't happen to Jesus. They want to protect, make sure nobody gets in there. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Not a smart thing for them to say. Right? Everybody's been working to crucify him. The Romans and the Jewish leaders have all agreed he wasn't the king uh, of the Jews and he wasn't even... Uh, the one sent, like Elijah, they've decided he's nothing. And yet here are these centurions, they're watching what's going on and having their human experience. Not hearing about it later, 2,000 years, by a couple writings and a loudmouth guy on a stage. They actually sat there and watched and listened to everything that was going on, the ground shaking, the, they were dead clear. This is the Son of God. This is it. And then watch this. Watch what Matthew does. He throws this little extra in here. Uh, God throws it in there, by the way. He doesn't just throw it in there. He places it there on purpose. Verse 55. There were also many women there. Looking on from a distance. Who had followed Jesus from Galilee. What's that next word? Nice try. What was that next word? Ministering, Ministering to him. It's kind of interesting because earlier we got the same literary thing where Peter is following Jesus at a distance. Why? Because he doesn't want to get caught. These ladies are following Jesus at a distance, but they're ministering to Jesus. So are they affiliating themselves with him? Are they seen with him? Are they caring for him? Are they talking to him? Absolutely. All the things that Peter wouldn't do, the women are doing, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary uh, the sons of Zebedee. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew what was going on. Did these Marys, did they make a sacrifice? They made a sacrifice Peter wasn't willing to make. They affiliated themselves with Jesus. 
they're kind of like following the, the trail of, of, of the parade of what's going on. Yeah, we're with him. Everybody be clear. We're going to take care of him. They're making a sacrifice. All right. I want us to see, uh, and by the way, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, I want us to see the value of sacrifice in this, not just in Jesus, but in us. And then I want to ask the question of what, it do, what does it call us to? And I want us to see uh, <clears throat> mainly that sacrifice is based in love. You know, sacrifice is rare in our, in our culture. Sacrifice is not normal. Most people are worried about their own thing and to give up their money, to give up their time, to do something that hurts for someone else. It's too much. And sometimes it's little things. But we don't want to do it. We're selfish. Sacrifice is based on love, requires love, because sacrifice. what sacrifice does is sacrifice shows you or proves to you or compels you to value something else more. I've, I've got all this, let's, this, all this stuff right here. Let's say this is all your stuff. This is all you, right? What we're going to say is some of that is not as important as something else. Something else outside of you is more important than what you would have to give up. And it, it's fascinating in this story. We see sacrifice all over the place. Right, we got God the Father sacrificing his son. We got uh, Jesus sacrificing his will. We have Simon who sacrifices energy and his status carrying that cross. We got the centurion sacrifice their safety by making a claim, a profession that, that surely would get them killed. And then, uh, and then we missed, uh, we're missing a, another group, right? What was at the very end? The three Marys? These ladies who ministered to him as they're gone, what, they're making a sacrifice too. They're putting all kinds of things at risk. Mo most of them are putting life at risk. What do, you, what do you put at risk? What are you willing to risk? And for what will you risk it? I risk a lot of things. I, I risk time. If I, if I have some time, I'll give it away to somebody and I will risk all the things that I will miss out in that time by going and doing something for somebody else if they pay me money. Oh, you have moolah? I have time. Let us exchange. I'm willing to sacrifice time. I'm willing to sacrifice money too. There's times where something comes up and it's like, wow, that sounds expensive to most people. And I'm like, heck no, here, I want, it. I want that, I'll do that, I'll pay for that. Sad part is more often, I won't give my time, I won't give my money, I will turn from a relationship, I will value my comfort over other people. I recently embarrassed myself because I was somewhere and there were two guys and they were different and I didn't know them and I never met them and I don't need to. And quite frankly, I'm around people all the time and you're exhausting, by the way. And I just thought to myself, you know what? This is two more people that I add into my life. I, I didn't. No. My body's sitting right next to me. Hey, guys. What's your name? How are you? My name's Fernando. And I'm looking at him like, I was trying to get out of that. You know, I didn't say anything, but here comes Fernando. Little sacrifice, little conversation. What's your name? 
Fitzgerald, you do not look like a Fitzgerald. What's your name? Shadrach. Almost didn't meet Fitzgerald and Shadrach. Missionaries. Lead a Bible college in Kenya. They oversee 30 churches. They've trained 300 pastors. And I didn't want to talk to them. I was too busy. My time, my energy, whatever. Fernando looked at it and saw something different. You know what he saw? Oh, I'm supposed to extend my hand, say hi, tell my name, ask my name. Let's do a little exchange, a little time, a little effort, a little investment. Man, I was embarrassed. No one knew. I didn't tell anybody until now. What do you hold on to? What do you love? If you won't sacrifice for it, you don't love it. You love what you had to sacrifice. The very few examples that I could think up of where you love what you're giving up and you love what you're gaining or offering at the same time. And here's one of them. God who loved his son and loved us so much that he gave his only son that we should have eternal life. Try to get us in relationship with him. Sacrifices based in love. Who do you love? The answer is supposed to be everyone, but we're horrible at it. How often can you sacrifice? What can you sacrifice? What do you have to offer? Not what's extra to offer. But what will hurt a little if you offer it, but it will be a tremendous blessing somehow in another way. And not to you. What I found is when I have done some of those things, the blessing comes back in mostly just that I feel better. I'm understanding how God cares about that person or that scenario or that ministry or whatever it is. I got to the end of talking to Fitzpatrick and Shadrach. Never met anybody named Shadrach. I just wanted to hang out with them. Where are you guys going? I want to go. We got to get to the place where we learn that sacrifice is more important more valuable than retention. Keeping stuff doesn't work. That's what the others do. Right? The others, what were they doing? They were mocking him, spitting on him, beating him, crowning him, teasing. We do that, don't we? How do we get to Easter? Real easy. We got to Easter real easy. Because we value ourselves, we value our stuff, and when someone else questions it or comes up with a different idea or a different approach, and we just mock it. Why? So we can retain whatever it is that we're trying to protect. You know, that has almost never worked well for me. It's never worked well for me. Even when I mock my kids because I want them to behave. It somehow just, it doesn't work out, right? I, I would think that they would get the message that you shouldn't do that. That's why dad's mocking you, and he's sarcastic, and I have a lot of fun with it, but, you know, so they don't. <laughs> they seem to not enjoy that so much. And I've really enjoyed myself, especially when it's been in public. Amen. But it, mocking doesn't work because mock, mocking is based in self. Mocking is based in me. Defiance, turning, arguing is based in self. I, I tried this years ago. It's, it's, it's so counterintuitive. I, I tried this. I said, you know what? I'm going to let them win the argument. It's the weirdest thing. It's so anti-Scott Berglund. It's like against everything that I've 
pursued my whole life at that point. Like, compete and win. Crush the opponent, right? Step on their neck. Write bad things about them on their social media post. There's been a few times I was like, yeah, why don't I just let them win? I just let them win. Because I value the person over the argument. Who can you let win? And what we have to sacrifice. Are there arguments you need to concede? Let them be right. Because if they're not, and you really are, and you let them win, and then they try it, and it catastrophically fails, they will experience light and momentary affliction. And who gets to be the hero? You do. And it's glorious and fun. It takes a little time. It takes a little sacrifice. It takes a little waiting. It takes a little bit of valuing them over their irrational or illogical. Have you ever talked to anybody who is irrational or illogical? I know probably it doesn't happen. You're not married to them or raise them or work for them. or No? I seem to run into them all the time. Uh, and why not, why not just eliminate mocking? If they had eliminated mocking, just taken a moment and kind of taken in what they already knew, what they already professed, what different position would they have been in? We got to Easter, folks, because we mock God. Newsflash, it's still going on. We have more information about Jesus than ever before in all of eternity, and we're still mocking him as a culture. Which should we mock him in little ways when we follow him at a distance and don't minister to him? When we claim him, but then I'm eh, going to do more important stuff. I'm going to sacrifice my time with the Lord, my ideals of the Lord for, well, you know, in this situation, it's a little bit different. You know, contextually, this is very, this is not the same as in the Bible. Really? Methinks thou protest too loudly. We talk our way out of all kinds of things. And when we talk our way out of following Jesus, obedience to Jesus, we compromise the doctrines that we're going to go over in September. We compromise our own integrity. More important than any of that, folks. Okay, I'm about to tell you something that's more important than doctrine. This is where you should be like, what? Get the pen out. The doctrines have no value if they're not in your experience. Most important is your immersed experience with God, and then you'll start to understand and see the doctrines of how they play out. When you find excuses to get around them, the biggest thing you are cheating is not the doctrines because they don't change. They are non-negotiable. We're going to cover them. They're amazing. And you can't compromise them at all. You can't take anything away from them. They will be here to the end of time. What you lose is your own experience. And that's scary because what that means is now you've dopped out in little ways. Right? And you had a chance. You had a chance. Right? So let's avoid the mocking uh, because... Uh, here's what we understand. Sacrifice and mocking, uh, both are a risk. You're taking a risk either way. I love this logical argument. If they're both a risk, if following God and turning from God are both a risk, I'm gambling either way. Let's gamble on the win side. Right? I love when people say, oh, I'm, I'm not into gambling. I don't believe in gambling. Really? Have you ever sat in a chair? You ever got in a car? I've gambled like every day of my life. Sometimes bigger than others. Will you marry me? That's a gamble. How about the, hey, sir, can you make me a ring with a really expensive stone and precious metals in it? I haven't talked to her. No, I haven't even asked her yet. I'm going to do that later, but right now I'm just going to purchase this really overpriced thing. That's gambling. Hey, why don't we have a kid? I'm going to stop there. 
sorry, my, my public high school is starting to come out. I got to stop, right? Because uh, both are a risk, right? If you're going to sacrifice to follow God, if you're going to sacrifice to honor people, love people, provide for people, as God said, to love him and love your neighbor, it's going to be a risk. It will hurt a lot. There, now you've heard of that church. I always felt cheated at church. They would tell me about God and how great it was going to be, and he was going to forgive me of my sins. Everything was going to be roses, and uh, what's the line from uh, uh, Forrest Gump? A box of chocolates. Everything's going to be a box of chocolates. You, know, you never know what you're going to add, but eventually you'll get something good. No. Following God's been the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Being in ministry is torture. It's torture. But it's not the best thing I've ever done. Right? If you're going to gamble, gamble on God. And never mock him. It will bite you in the pants. Never be the one that says, I will never plant a church. <laughs> that poster's funny. And walk right by it. Here I am. Don't mock God, because God is not mocked. Amen? Now focus on him rather than on self. Both are risks. Uh, so where do you put trust for the outcome? Where do you put trust for the outcome? And I love this section. This, these five verses or so. Go back and read them on your own at some point. But the, the ground shakes. Lightning, thunder, the veil. I mean, what is he capable of? Remember, got all excited about never use the word cannot when you're talking about God, right? What's he capable of? What, what do you trust him for the outcome? It's because if you don't trust him, you're really mocking him. If you don't sacrifice for him, you will miss out on his sacrifice for you. You will make it harder to trust in his outcome and you will start uh, doing your, making your own deals. Chasing your own things, coming up with your own truths, your own ideology, that's where we get in trouble. That's why we got to do a, ser a series on doctrines when we come back into the new school year. So we figure out where to put our trust for the outcomes. What are the rules of the game so we can play it and win? You want to win? I want you to ask yourself some questions. Uh, what are you holding back, unwilling to sacrifice? When I say that, you think about it for stuff it pops into your head. I know it does. What are you holding on to, unwilling to let go? And what are you afraid that God might do or not do? And I want you to formulate a prayer that en encapsulates those things together. What do you want to ask him? Because you go through your life not asking him. Don't be like the centurions. Standing in the presence of Jesus Christ with the opportunity to ask him anything. And they squandered it. I'm not worried about you guys at all. Not because you're here at this church. I, I just, I'm not worried about y'all because I know you all have the opportunity to ask God questions. What do you want to do, God? What am I holding on to? What, where should I be putting effort or time? What do, you, what do you want me to sacrifice so that I can have that immersive, interactive experience with you? Father God, may that be our prayer. May that be our pursuit. You show us, Lord, where we mock you uh, in little ways and big ways. Lord, show us the things that we can sacrifice for and what we can sacrifice to their benefit. And pray, Lord, you protect us from the risk. Not the cost, but the fear of the risk.
pray, Lord, you would eliminate fear. Let us move forward, try things, be what you've called us to be. Heal, repair, minister, serve. Show us what those things are, Lord. That we might be yours. That this might be your church. Pray, Lord, for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray, Lord, that you would show us how to use it in sacrifice to you as a body. And we pray for your guidance in that. We thank you in your son Jesus' name, amen.